up in your Bible to the book of Ephesians chapter number 4. Book of Ephesians chapter number 4. The Lord. I don't think this is going to be a long message this morning. So if you listen fast, I'll preach fast. I don't have a problem with that. This, the, the camera people are saying, but yeah, but please don't walk fast. They, they earn their crowns in heaven back there, I'm telling you. Lord, Ephesians chapter 4, when you have it, stand up on your feet one more time if you don't mind. I want to read uh, these um, few chapters, these few verses rather, of this chapter. Ephesians 4. Verse 25 through 32. The Bible says, Therefore, put away lying. Let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Be angry. Do not sin. Nor let the sun go down on your wrath. Nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands, that which is good, that he may have something to give to him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but that which is necessary for edification that it might impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, it's already anointed, but I pray you would anoint my lips to speak your truth and anoint our hearts to be able to receive. We rebuke and bind every distraction that the adversary would try to come right now and to distract us, whether it be notifications on our phone or whatever it might be that would try to steal away our attention. Lord, today my prayer is that our focus would be on you and your word. God, we thank you for what you're going to do in advance today. We give you the glory and praise for it in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Praise the Lord. You can be seated this morning. Hallelujah. And right off the bat, I need a strong, Strong. Everybody here strong, right? I need a strong young man to come assist me for just a moment. Strong young man. Come on, don't be anybody. Anybody. We don't have any strong. Do I need a strong woman? Do I need a strong woman? All right, come on, buddy. Give him a hand. All right. I need you to come stand right here for me, okay? And I'm going to tell you what I need you to do, right? Now you have to listen to instructions. You're going to face them, right? You're going to take this bottle, okay, and I want you to hold it like this. Don't bend your elbow, and it cannot fall beneath your center section, okay? So you have to hold it straight until I, until I tell you, okay? Can you do that? Yeah. All right, all right. It may be a minute, so hold it out there, all right? All right, well, y'all forget about him for a second, okay? But uh, <laughs> oh, we're glad to be in God's house, amen? And uh, we've been in a series entitled Next level living. And last week, Pastor Susan preached on overcoming loss. Uh, This week, I want to uh, talk about something that all of us have dealt with at some point, some fashion in our life. And that is, I want to talk about overcoming offense. Overcoming offense. Um, You know, uh, we have opportunity to be offended in every aspect of society. In fact, I've said it before and I'll say it again. I believe that we believe we live in one of the most, if not the most, offendable societies in all of human history. 
In fact, people have built their entire platforms on the subject of being offended. Now, you guys help me keep... If he starts lowering his arm, I need you to let me know, okay? Now, here's, here's what we understand. That being offended is something that we necessarily can't help when an offense happens to us, right? If somebody does something, they say something, when an offense happens to us, it's not something that we really can help. But I do want to tell you that being offended is a choice. It's a choice whether or not you choose to stay offended. Now, I was flipping through the channels the other day. I was just uh, perusing through uh, 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 actually it wasn't channels it was something on my streaming network and uh, I came across an old sitcom that many of us in this room probably watched in the 70s Okay, uh, uh, I'm not going to say particularly what show it was I didn't park there and I didn't watch it for a long time but it had a fellow in it by the name of Archie Bunker anybody remember Archie Bunker? okay well I had it on the channel just long enough him to say something and I think Blondie and I looked at each other and said can you imagine if they said that on live television today people would have a fit and it was just amazing. you okay buddy all right you're good all right you're good he's shaking a little bit all right um people would have a fit if you said that today now I'm not agreeing with what he said but what I'm alluding to this morning is how more much more offendable people have become in our society. In Matthew chapter 24, which happens to be one of the premier Bible prophecy chapters in all of the Bible, it's, it's paralleled in the Gospel of Luke. Jesus is talking to His disciples and He's sitting on the Temple Mount. He's describing the last of the last days. He gives us all sorts of illustrations about what it'll be like in the last days. It, many of you could probably quote these. He says wars and rumors of wars. And he says all of these different things. Pestilence and famine and, and despair and all types of things like that. And then he says, and many shall be offended. And the love of many will wax cold. We don't think about offense being a sign of the last days. But truly being offended is the sign, one of the primary signs of being in the last days. Now, in our particular passage, in our background, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus, and he's talking to them about how they conduct themselves with each other. He, he, he talks about not lying to each other, making sure what we say to one another is upbuilding and not tearing down. How many of you know that your words actually have power? Now, when God spoke, He created the universe. We're made in the image of God. I've tried to speak a Cadillac into existence, and it didn't work. So, I don't think the Scripture necessarily means that in those exact terms. However, the word for word in the, in the Hebrew is the word, and uh, in, in the New Testament as well, in the New Testament, it's the word lego. It's like a container. A connect you good? Okay. It's like a connector. Let me know if you're not okay. It's, it's like a connector, Right? And, and, and it's a container as well. And our words contain life or death. Our words have the power to build or they have the power to tear down. And oftentimes we, we speak before we truly think and our words have actions on people's lives. 
People walk into a room, they speak, and they're telling jokes. The atmosphere of that room changes. People walk into that room, and they're Debbie Downers, and whatever you all know, there's that one person you avoid because, you're all right, buddy. Okay, second, y'all let me know. I need somebody watching this morning. All right, so you know, you know that there's that one person that you run into, right? And you run into them, and, and you ask them, how are they doing? And then it's like, you know, it's a greeting, people. Say, I'm well. I'm blessed. But, but oftentimes we avoid those people because we know that it's a constant uh, ocean wave of negativity, right? Well, our words have power. And oftentimes the things we do actually uh, affect us, affect our lives greatly. Now, I wanted to explain something to you. Opportunities in life happen where we have an ability to be offended. Somebody speaks to us, somebody doesn't speak to us, somebody gets a promotion on our job that we were actually, good? Raise the standard, bro. All right, good deal. So, I'm, I'm almost ready for you. All right, so I want you to hear this. You're going to win a prize today, by the way. Uh, and so, so get this. Because you stepped out today, you're going to win a prize, all right? So, get this. Opportunities happen to all of us. In our families, on our jobs, church, we have an opportunity to get offended. The question is, does the devil ensnare us in offense, or do we choose to be a people who are, are easily to forgive and easily to reconcile and easily to put the past behind us. That's the kind of people that God has called us to be. He's called us to be a people who have the ministry of reconciliation. Not just with people and God, but with people and each other. God wants us to reconcile. Now the reason why I had him hold the, this bottle is because this bottle only weighs a couple ounces, right? In fact, I drank some of it so I helped you out this morning. Uh, this bottle only weighs a couple of ounces. When he first, listen, when he first took hold of it, it was no issue. But the longer he held it, the heavier it became. And can I, and can I tell you, the longer he held it, the heavier it became. And that's how offense and unforgiveness is. You say, oh, this is little. It's not that big of a thing. You don't understand how they hurt me. You don't understand what they did to me. And you justify your hurt. You justify your offense. And you hold on to it. But the longer you hold on to it, it begins to affect your life. Come on. Give him a hand this morning. Give him a hand. You're good. You're good. Hey. Pastor loves you. God bless you, man. Buy yourself something nice. Uh, listen, the longer you hold on to offense. Yeah, I want my water back. Hit me with it. All right. So the longer you hold on to offense in your life, the more it begins to affect you. It affects your emotions. It affects your decisions. It affects things in your life. And I believe this morning that God wants to set some people free from offense in their life. I believe there are people here in this room today that you are holding on to things that you don't even realize that you're holding on to. Past hurts, past abuse, past relationships failed marriages, things of that nature. And it's, it's, it's paralyzing you to the point of really messing up your life. And Paul gives us some instruction. He says, let him who steals, steal no more. Neither let, and rather let him work with his hands. Paul's telling us in this passage, give no place 
to the devil. Amen. And some of us have to make a choice this morning to give no place to the devil. The Bible says your adversary walks about like a roaring lion, seeking, notice this, seeking whom he may devour. So the devil is on the earth. He's not in hell yet. He's never been there. He's on the earth looking for somebody who is going to feed his appetite. He's looking for somebody who is, is, is devourable. Now, how many hunters do I have in the room? Not last name. I see you over there. Not last names. Hunters. You hunt with a gun, right? Or a bow. Alright? Well, here's the thing. Wolves, which are predators, they, they also mess up wildlife sometimes. Get in and mess with cows and everything. But do you know that wolves are attracted to certain calls? And do you know that some of the most educated and the most skillful hunters will tell you that if they want to track a wolf or a coyote, a predator, they use a wounded rabbit call. And they make this most god-awful noise. It's the sound of, ah, ah, ah. You know, it sounds like something's on the side of the road dying. It sounds like I was singing Wednesday night if you were here, right? That's what it sounded like. Ah, ah. Now, to, to the Lord, it sounded like a thousand choir angels. But, but, but to me, it sounded like somebody was dying. Ah, ah, made this noise, right? And guess what? The Bible says that our adversary, the devil, he's not only like a lion, he's, he's like a wolf tries to come in and eat and devour the sheep. And guess what? A lot of times when we harbor this offense and bitterness in our life, we're, we're, we, we think we're justified in what we say. We think we're justified in how we're, we're acting. And, and to the devil, it sounds like this. Ah, ah, ah. And all of a sudden, we wonder why we're under spiritual attack. We wonder why the dark clouds of despair and gloom and anxiety and fear and depression are hanging over our head. A lot of times it is because we are holding on to things in our life that God wants us to let go. So in the name of Jesus, I want to quote a line from a prophet from Disney. Let it go. Let it go. Got to let some stuff go. I almost had him play the song this morning. Let it go. Let it go. Okay, see? I'm not going to do it. I'm going to behave. That's why I don't turn my mic on until I start preaching. Because I don't want somebody to turn on the live stream in the beginning of service and hear, you know, we don't want that. This morning, in all seriousness, I want to talk to you about overcoming this. Now, if you're, if you're a note taker, I want to give you a couple of things here that you can see. The first one is, number one, I want to look at the problem of offense. The problem with offense. Here's what I need you to know. Offense separates us from God. Now, maybe not in the sense that you're thinking. I'm not necessarily in the sense speaking of a, of a salvific issue of salvation, but, but relationship. How many of you know if you and your spouse have an offense with each other, it separates you until you reconcile? You're still married. 
but there's an offense there. And uh, the Bible tells us plainly that Jesus died on two, 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 two uh, wooden uh, stakes there. Two, the cross was made of two beams. There was one that was uh, horizontal and the other one that was vertical. I like to say this one. The horizontal one, it stretches out to humanity. The one that is vertical is to heaven and earth. It reminds us that our relationship with God is affected both by our relationship with God and our relationship with people. Right? Our relationship with God and our relationship with people. I see somebody in the Spirit today. You got your hands on your hips. You got your finger out. You're shaking. You say, Pastor, I don't believe that. I want to call your word, your attention to the words of one of the greatest faith chapters outside of Hebrews 11 uh, that we have in the New Testament to the Gospel of Mark chapter 11. We love that verse that says that, that uh, whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea. He believe in his heart and not doubt. He'll have whatever he says. We love that. But the following verse says, and when you stand praying, you better forgive. Because if you don't forgive others, God can't forgive you. The problem with offense is that it separates us from that intimate fellowship with God. I'm going to be honest with you. There are possibly some people in this room that are offended with God. Now, I know we're so holy that we don't want anybody to see our halo on the side of our head this morning. But if you've not ever been upset with one of God's decisions, or... Maybe not even God's decision, but maybe, God, why didn't you step in? Why didn't it come like I thought it would come? Why did this situation have to turn that way? If you've never wrestled with that, you're not being honest. Sometimes, like Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, our, our humanity wrestles with his divinity sometimes. Even Jesus, when he was getting ready to endure the cross, he said, Lord, if there be any other way to do this. He knew the cross would hurt. He knew every lash. He knew the ripping of his beard. He knew all of that would be painful. And Jesus in the garden is wrestling, Father, if there be any other way to do this, let this cup pass from me. But Jesus submits himself to God's plan. You see, offense separates us from that fellowship with God. See, some, some people in this room, you're wrestling with death. You're wrestling with things that you don't understand. And I'm, I'm here to tell you this morning, don't let what you don't understand about God mess up what you do understand about God. The book of Deuteronomy says this, the secret things belong to the Lord. That which is revealed belongs to us and to our children forever. There are questions that we may never have for life, in all of our life. There are questions. People say, I won't know the answer to that until I get to heaven. I am convinced that when we get to heaven, we won't even think about that anymore. Because it will all make sense when we get in His presence. problem with offense is it separates us from fellowship with God. Here's another one. Offense also separates us from fellowship with others church that I just came from pastoring in Arkansas, one of the reasons why they wanted us to come pastor that church was because Blondie and I had a history of being able to help churches that had gone through struggle. And uh, anyway, we pastored a church that had a very, very long tenured pastor and had board issues. And they, they asked us to come down there and, 
and uh, to help that. And I don't know if we helped it and heard it, but we tried our best. But the church that we just came from, uh, not long before we got there, had just went through a split. It was terrible. I mean, literally, another church started nine-tenths of a mile from our front door. You could see it. And um, there were people that got caught up in this uh, church split that they probably should have left, but they didn't. This is my pew. I paid for it. My hymnal. I paid for it. I'm not moving. So for our first year there, they came into the church and they sat on this side and they sat on this side and the two never met together. They were offended. See, when you're offended, it separates us from relationships. There are people in this room, you're offended at something that happened in your past with a parent. You're offended at an ex-wife, an ex-husband. You're offended at an ex-boss. You're offended at a pastor. You're offended at somebody that, that, that happened to hurt you, whether it was a real offense or a perceived offense, it's still in your own mind is an offense. And so it has separated you from fellowship with each other. Here's the other thing about offense, the other problem, is that it rarely ever just stays offense. Offense changes. You're offended, and all of a sudden it begins to grow. I was in Africa about probably seven, eight years ago at our missionary compound where Mike and Marigold Cheshire uh, have the, the campground there. And, and um, our, the place where we took a shower was quite a ways a distance away from our tent. And they always told us to bring shower shoes. And uh, I was walking in the middle of the night, dark, dark African night. I mean, nothing but the stars and... And so we're walking to our shower facility there, and I had had on some flip-flops, some shower shoes. Well, the acacia tree had, had apparently either dropped some thorns or an animal got up there and pulled some thorns out of it. But anyway, they had become really dry and brittle, and I was walking, and all of a sudden, I felt on the bottom of my foot a sting. Initially, I thought I got bit by a scorpion or a snake or something until I picked my foot up like this. And lo and behold, about a half inch in my foot was an acacia thorn. So I grabbed a hold of something, and I said, well, this is going to hurt, but it's only going to hurt for a minute. So I grabbed it, and I ripped it out. Then I went, and I got in the shower, and I washed it the best I could, and I forgot about it for a day or two. Until I was preaching in a crusade, and then all of a sudden, my, my, I, I had bought some cheap shoes from Walmart. I never, if you take clothes over there to where we go in the bush, they never, ever come back the same. So I always go to Goodwill or Walmart and buy something I don't mind just kind of ruining or leaving because it always gets messed up. So I thought it was the cheap shoes that I had bought, you know. Sometimes you do get what you pay for. And uh, I get out done preaching. I look down, I take my sock off, and a bullseye has begun to well up around my sight that I had pulled the thorn out. Most of you who do medical stuff understand that that, that bullseye is a sign of infection that's spreading in your leg. And, and so uh, I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm going to have to go to the doctor in a third world nation, right? And so uh, they take me, the presbyter takes me up to this place, and it, it says, <laughs> y'all forgive me, it says AIDS clinic written in spray paint on the side of it. My heart was like, help me, Jesus. Just whatever it is, I'd rather take my chances with that. How am I going to explain to my wife, right, when I get home from Africa, I came home with HIV. I mean, the devil, right, gets in your mind, right? And so anyway, we're sitting there, 
And I'm waiting to see where this instrument she comes out of this back room uh, comes from. Is it brand new? Because she came in and she said, I can tell you what the problem is, it's common. She said, when you broke off that thorn, you thought you got it all out. But there's enough in there that's irritating. And what, what they probably didn't tell you is the end of those acacia thorns have poison on them. She said, I'm going to have to open up that spot and dig it out. She said, it's going to be painful, but you'll feel better in the end. <laughs> didn't sound good to me. But let me tell you something. In God's hospital room, oftentimes we feel like we've dealt with situations in life. We feel like we've addressed the problem. Meanwhile, underneath the surface, it's welling up. It's welling up. And, and I feel like God is saying, sometimes we've got to remove the offense so that you can totally be healed. Some of you have walked into marriages where you had been married before and you were cheated on or, or you were lied to and you, you, you brought that into the new place without dealing with it. Some of you have had bad pastoral experiences in the past and, and maybe you have the inability to trust a pastor from this day forward or, or maybe vice versa. Uh, there are all type of experiences that happen, but the problem with the fence is that it's, it's, like, it's like octopus. Let me explain. I'll hurry. Lonnie, many of you may not know this, but she actually graduated cosmetology school. She managed her own salon. She gave up that education to go in the ministry. Uh, because if you've ever cut hair before, like Georgina, imagine the clientele you have and having to rebuild that every couple of years because we were staff pastors at that time. So anyway... She, she gave that up. But when she graduated, her aunt and uncle didn't have any children, so they said, we're going to take you to Disney World. All expense paid for your sister's nursing graduation and for your graduation. So we're all expense paid, five days, four nights. We're going to have a great time. But Uncle Barry had a rule. He said, I'm going to give you five days. The first one belongs to me. He said, you are going to ride everything that I want you to ride and he said, you're going to eat anything I want you to try. And for the next four days, aside from dinner time, I don't care if I see you. So we were like, that's not too bad, you know. Uh, he was a businessman, so he was doing some business while he was there. And so anyway, that first day, took us to this seafood place. And he made me try octopus. And if you've never tried squid, the more you chew it, it's like the bigger it gets. You start salivating and you're like, can I really swallow this? Want to get the napkin and like spit a little bit of it out? You know, I'm not trying to be nasty, but it's just an experience. And that's the way offense is. It starts as a, it starts as a offense and then it grows into unforgiveness. And then unforgiveness morphs over into bitterness. And, and the Bible says a root of bitterness, it defiles many. So when you become offended and then bitter, you don't just affect you, but everybody you come in contact with. Because, because it, it, it's just that way. So the problem with the fence is that it separates us from fellowship with God, it separates us from fellowship with others, and it never stays in its original form. Number two, moving quickly. Number two, I want to talk to you about the power of unforgiveness. The power of unforgiveness. I believe it was St. Augustine who said this. 
He said, refusing to, to forgive somebody who has hurt you is like you drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. When you have unforgiveness in your life, it's affecting your heart. It's poisoning your well. It's causing all types of things to happen. But when, when you choose to make a conscious decision to release those captors in your life, what happens is it immediately releases you from bondage. Releases you from bondage. See, you've got to understand that forgiveness is as much about you as it is about them. Because I'm going to be honest with you, there's some days in my life I've apologized to some people that they didn't accept my apology. But because I was sincere before God, because I said, hey, I know what I did, even though I didn't mean it that way, I know how it made you feel, I ask your forgiveness, and they still didn't, you know, whatever. Guess what? That releases me. Releases me from the weight, from the burden, from the guilt, from the bondage of all of that stuff. And so when we forgive the way that God wants us to, it releases us. Here's the next thing. Power forgiveness has the potential to restore relationships. Has the potential to restore relationships. Now Romans 12, 18 says this, as much as it relies on you, dwell peaceably with all men. As much as it relies upon you, dwell peaceably with all men. You know what that means? It may not be possible, but you do your part. You go to somebody and say, I'm sorry. You've offended me. I've offended you. I forgive you. You forgive me. Even if they don't say anything. You have to let it go. Has the potential to restore relationships. Here's another thing. The power of forgiveness makes us like Jesus. Makes us like Jesus. Folks, there's not anybody in this room I would never make light of your circumstance, your situation, what you've gone through. It hurts. Listen, when you have a splinter that is broke off in the bottom of your foot that's infected, it hurts as much to you as the person who has a brain tumor. Your problem affects you. Right? So I would never make light of anybody's pain. But what I would say was that none of us in this room have even remotely come close to the pain, despair, and agony that Jesus Christ experienced on the cross. Literally, He took the weight of every single transgression and sin upon His own shoulders. He was uh, uh, maligned. He was set up. He was, uh, he was lied upon. He was falsely accused. He was backstabbed, betrayed by Judas of all people who sat at the table and ate and broke bread and fellowship for money, 30 pieces of silver. How in the world could Judas betray Christ for 30 pieces of silver? Don't get mad at Judas. Some of you do it for free. But we never become more like Christ than when He was on the cross he was nailed between two thieves. 
One who reviled him. One who said, uh, if you be the son of God, save yourself. And the other one said, Lord, this man is innocent. He doesn't deserve what we deserve. He says, when you come into your kingdom, would you remember me? Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. The Bible says that when Jesus is getting ready to fulfill the plan of redemption in its totality, Jesus makes a statement. He says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know you. They don't know what they're doing. We never become more like Jesus than when we forgive those who have hurt us. We've got to let it go. We've got to forgive them. I want to make a statement here. I want you to hear me. If somebody has abused your children, you can forgive them. That doesn't mean you have to put them back in the same situation. That's not what we're talking about. But you can forgive. You can let it go. You've got to forgive them. Here's something we've got to do. We've got to pray for those who offend us. If you want to start a process of reconciliation, you've got to start being like Jesus. Here's the third thing, and I'm getting ready to close. In fact, Darren, you can come. Here's the third thing. I want to look at the process of healing. This is, this is more a topical message than what I normally would do, but I've, I felt impressed to do this today. The third thing, I want to look at the process of healing. Number one, you've got to let it go. You know, some of you are here today, you've been hurt by people who are no longer with us. Parents who've died. Spouses who've passed away. You've, you've, you've gone through circumstances and situations where there was unreconcilable things that happened. How do you deal with that? You know, I heard a story some years ago that really blessed my heart. Because, you know, everybody deals with stuff like this from time to time. And I heard Joyce Meyer tell a story years ago about how her father had abused her sexually and mentally and everything. He had gone on. He had died, you know. And she was struggling with this unforgiveness. Even as a minister, you know, she thought she dealt with it and everything. And it just kept coming back. Kept coming back. So she said she... She sat in an empty chair in a room, and she sat across from that empty chair. And this is going to sound crazy to some people, but it's no different than writing a letter. She emptied out all of her thoughts, all of her pain, all of her experience. And when she got done, she said, now, all of that hurt me, all of that affected me, but I make a choice today to forgive you. And what you've done to me is not going to have power over my life anymore and she said it wasn't until that time that she really felt free from the situation not only do you got to let it go letting go involves walking away from it but sometimes just walking away from it leaves that thorn in your foot you got to forgive them and then you got to pray for those who offend us Jesus did that. He said this, pray for those who despitefully use you. 
Pray for your enemies. You know, David did that. David's prayer often started out pretty savage, pretty brutal. Pastor Susan talked about that a little bit last week. If you read David's writings, sometimes David says, Lord, would you crush the teeth of my enemies and grind their bones into pieces? And by the time he gets to the end of his prayer, his heart has shifted, his heart has changed. And now he's praying for God's mercy, praying for God's compassion on his enemies. Part of that healing process. Here's the next thing. I believe it's the most important thing. We've got to continue to remember how much we've been forgiven. How much we've been forgiven. You see, we want God to forgive us. Oh God, you know my heart. We want God to judge us on our motives and everybody else we want to judge them on their actions. But the truth is, we got to remember how much we have been forgiven. And God, when Jesus was on the cross, you see, none of us came into the kingdom as saints. I don't care your grandma, your great-grandma, your great-grandpa rolled into Oklahoma on a wagon and started the very first Assembly of God church. You didn't get into heaven because of that. The Bible says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. He didn't wait until we got it all together. He came down and met us made a way of reconciliation so that we could have restored relationship with Him. And I want to tell you something today. Jesus has paid the ultimate price of forgiveness when He stood on the cross and He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. So much so that He went to heaven, took His blood, placed it on the mercy seat, and now is our advocate by the right hand of the Father, pleading our case this morning, your Bibles are already closed. I want you to close them. I want everybody to stand this morning.